Well, good morning, GT family. How y'all doing today? You guys surviving the heat? Yeah? Everyone doing well? How come my iPad is not turning on? <laughs> it's, the, uh, it's the morning of hiccups. All right, there we go. It's on now. We're ready to go. Well, uh, my voice is a little bit hoarse today. I was on vacation this week, uh, hanging out in uh, eastern Ontario at my parents' cottage. And um, I feel like this is the week of getting roped into many things. Anybody ever felt like you, you constantly get roped into things? Do you know what I mean by that term? Like you get pulled into things? Um, so earlier th this, uh, well, a few weeks back actually, um, uh, they were planning for the Canada's Wonderland trip and they, uh, I was going to go and take my uh, youngest daughter because the older girls were going and I haven't been to a theme park in probably over a decade and so I'm 40 now, it's probably 30 the last time I went to a theme park and uh, they needed some leaders. We had so many kids signed up that they needed some leaders. So I said, you know what? We're on vacation that week. I'm going to be there with my daughter. That's fine. We can serve and help. So we got seven different junior high kids with us. And so that was a day full of incredible fun. Um, but this body doesn't respond to jolting and movement and action and drops and all the stuff like it used to. I did youth ministry for 13 years and we would go to Kings Island and all these different places and uh, I would go on roller coasters till the sun came down and uh, by about one o'clock on Thursday, my body was saying, nope, you're done. But the kids weren't done, so we're going to plow through, and uh, we crash all day Friday. And then, yes, we have an area-wide Young Adults Rally going on. Um, several churches, we've come together to kind of plan this event. we got a couple of them going on in the summer, and uh, there's several young adult pastors I was meeting with from Bethel and Lake Mount, um, People's Church and Kingsview, and then us. And uh, we had a speaker lined up, and the speaker canceled last minute. So I'm thinking one of these young leaders is going to step up and say, oh, we got it, we'll take it. And no, they voluntold me. So I'm the old guy of the group, and so I got voluntold, so I got to preach tonight. So my voice is a little bit hoarse from all the screaming and all that's been going on, but I believe the Holy Spirit is here, and he's going to do some incredible things in our midst here today. Amen. All right, if you have your Bible, go to Psalm chapter 63. We are in week four of our series called Summer on the Psalms, and um, Pastor Antonio did such an incredible job last week, amen, uh, just breaking down Psalm 86 there, and so good to see several of our staff being able to preach God's word and just really communicate what the Lord is sharing on their hearts. And this morning, we're going to look at this Psalm, Psalm 63, which is actually a Psalm of King David. Um, that it's believed by most scholars that he writes in a time where he has literally fled for his life. Uh, there's been division that has risen up in his kingdom, division in his own home. His own son, Absalom, has rebelled against him and is seeking to pursue him and kill him. And David, because of the threats on his life, he actually has, has to flee to the wilderness in, in, uh, in Judah and really just kind of hide out. Now, this isn't the first time he's had to hide out in his life. He's had many points in his life where he's had to hide from people that want to kill him. Now, that's an interesting way to live when you are constantly fleeing and hiding from people that want to destroy your life. And so David, in this time of hiding, in the midst of the wilderness, he pens this beautiful psalm where he talks about this, this yearning of his, his heart, this desire 
for the presence of God. And I believe it's an incredible psalm that I hope will encourage us in our own faith here this morning to never lose the desperation for the presence of God in our lives. That we cannot be a people that just live off of an experience that we had last week or an experience that we had last year or an experience that we had 10 years ago at a camp meeting or a conference or in a service. We have to be a people that are continually pursuing in a heart of desperation, God, I need you to come and fill me afresh today. Like many of us have had encounters in our lives over the years and they've been powerful encounters where God has done something beautiful in us. But if we're honest, many times we try to live off of things that happened in our lives many, many years ago. Like I'll never forget the day I gave my heart to Jesus. I was six years old and I was by my bedside and my, my mom led me in the sinner's prayer. And I confess every single sin I had committed as a six-year-old child. And the list was many, right? And, and I'll never forget that day. I'll never forget the time I was baptized in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues at nine years old at Lakeshore Pentecostal Camp in the old kids' tabernacle. And Joyful Jamie was the kids' evangelist. And he was doing the puppets and all that stuff. And he taught on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And Greg Gill came and laid hands on my, on my, on my head. And I fell over into the presence of God. And I began to speak in an unknown language. That point marked my life as a young child. I'll never forget the day I was called into ministry at 18 years of age. A time in my life where I was questioning uh, church and whether church was even necessary and important because I had seen as a pastor's kid so much hypocrisy in the church and I had seen uh, some of the evil things that happened within the church and the contradictions and I saw my parents go through so much uh, turmoil in the midst of the church and I was really wrestling with do I even need church in my life? I believe in you God but I don't know about this church thing and I remember at 18 years of age the Holy Spirit coming and doing an incredible work of healing in my life and I I felt the call of God into ministry that day. And those are beautiful markers in my life that I can look back to, that I can point to and say, I met God in those moments. But the truth is, I cannot live off of just those moments. I need God's presence afresh and anew every single day in my life. Am I thankful for those moments? Absolutely. But I want to encounter his presence afresh here, even today, this morning in this place. And so in Psalm 63, you'll see that verses 1 through 8 really deal with the desire for God and his confidence. And really the, the idea of the goodness of God. And then you'll see in verses 9 through 11 that he speaks of his desire to see his enemies conquered. And so I want us to stand for the reading of God's word here this morning. I'm going to read 1 through 11. And the psalmist writes this, O oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. 
My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exalt, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated here this morning. So this morning what I want to do is really break down this text into several different portions and just draw some big ideas from each single portion. In verses 1 through 2, we read these lines. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you, my soul it thirsts for you, my flesh it faints for you in a dry and weary land where there is the water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory. Now I want to note this, that the yearning that David describes here, it speaks of a, a desperation. He's in the wilderness hiding for his life. His own son has rebelled against him. And David begins to cry out, God, my God, earnestly I seek you. You can sense this level of desperation in his life. It's not this idea of, hey God, it would be nice if I can encounter you again. Hey God, it'd be really kind of cool if I could experience your presence like I, I have in the past. But no, it's this desperation. It speaks of a longing in his heart that it has become imperative that he encounters God's presence afresh. You see, King David, he has experienced the presence and glory of God in the past. And once again, it has marked his life. But he's not content just to live off of a previous encounter. But King David, here in Psalm 63, he is desperate to experience God again. He's tasted and seen that the Lord is good and he must continue tasting and experiencing this goodness because David knows that only the presence and the glory of God can satisfy the deepest longings of his soul. King David has experienced all the wealth, all the fame, all the notoriety, he has experienced the vast array of pleasures that the world has to offer. And in the midst of the wilderness, the thing that he longs for is not his financial wealth, it's not his position or stature as a king, it's not the accessibility to the wives and the concubines that he may have. No, his yearning, his desire, it's God, I seek you, my soul thirsts for you, I need to experience you afresh again in this moment of desperation. You see, David was desperate to be desperate. He was hungry to be hungry. He had a deep yearning in his very being and he knew that nothing that the world has to offer in the realm of my former kingdom can bring the delight and joy to my life. No, it's only the presence and the glory of God that can bring satisfaction to my very being. A.W. Tozer in his book, the pursuit of God said, God is so vastly wonderful, so utterly and completely delightful that he can, without anything other than himself, meet and overflow the deepest demands of our total nature, mysterious and deep as that nature is. What a powerful statement that God, just in his very being, can satisfy our complete and total 
nature. I remember years ago, I was reading the book of Revelation and studying it intensely. And I got to many of these scenes in the book of Revelation where John is writing and he talks about in that moment where he's seeing all the perilous things that are happening in the world in the first century and in the centuries to come. He's having this correlation of the persecution in his day, but also the persecution that will continue to come in every generation, and one great final persecution. And all through the book of Revelation, you read about how he is caught up into the throne room of heaven, that, that the way that the church remains faithful to the end in the midst of all the persecution that they experience, because if they look in the natural realm of everything that's happened here, they, they will be consumed by it. But the way we remain faithful is be by, by being caught up into the throne room of heaven. I remember reading how, how John writes, when he saw the worship in heaven, he hears the angels singing day and night, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Day and night, they just sing holy. Think about that for a moment. Now, I like songs in worship that have intellectual depth to them. I don't mind simplicity in songs. That's fine, because there are times where simplicity is necessary. And even in the songs, we see repetitiveness. But I'm the type of person, if we sing How Great Is Our God like 20 times over, I'm like, all right, got it. <laughs> Can I get a witness in here, right? Ready to move on. Next line, all right. Name above all names, all right, got it, right? And I'm not trying to knock that, but I like when there's intellectual depth and robust theology in our songs. That's why I love the hymns so much. But I remember studying the book of Revelation and it says that in heaven, they cry out day and night, holy, holy, holy. It's the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And I remember thinking about that as a young minister. What would that be like to just be singing day and night, night and day, holy, holy, holy. Like, I don't like singing How Great Is Our God 10 times over. What about singing holy, 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 over and over again? And I felt like in that moment, because I study a lot and I try to do a lot of research, but in that moment, I felt like the Holy Spirit literally revealed something to me about the throne room of heaven. When we think about that word holy, we, need, we know it speaks about the character of God. God is holy. God is perfect. God is righteous and just. But the truth is, we also use that word to connect it to whenever we are surprised, whenever we're caught off guard. Sometimes we follow it up with inappropriate words, holy something, right? And so it's those moments where we're caught off guard. And I felt like the Holy Spirit spoke to me. Tim, do you think the angels have God figured out yet? Do you think they understand all the depths and the magnitude about the goodness of God? Just when they think they have it figured out and they're ready to move on, God comes and reveals another part of his nature and their only response is holy, holy, holy. It's the Lord God. Imagine singing that for a thousand years and you think, all right, we got it. We got it. You're holy. And God says, you think you got it? Watch this. And he reveals another round to his very being, to his very nature. And the only response for us is holy, holy, holy. And this is what I believe David is yearning for, that he's desiring. He knows it's only God who can satisfy his deepest longings in his life. See, when you think that you've experienced all the goodness of God that there is to experience, I believe that God desires to reveal another realm to his nature, 
to his wonder, to his goodness, that he may catch you off guard and simply leave you responding with a resounding, holy, holy, holy. And so this morning, that was the prayer in the office as I was preparing for bringing this message. My, my prayer was, God, come and reveal yourself afresh to your people. Make yourself known and manifest in a tangible way in our gathering that we leave here today with, wow, God, you are so great. You are so amazing. You are so big. We leave here with a resounding holy, holy, holy in our lives. Let's read on verses three through five. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. And my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. Now it's interesting that David, in the season of hiding in the wilderness, where he is obviously experiencing days of hunger and thirst in his natural physical body, correlates that to a deeper longing that he has. Yes, he is hungry and thirsty physically in his body, but his spirit, his inner being has a deeper hunger and thirst, and it is for the tangible presence of God. Because once again, David, he knows that the only thing in this world that can bring true delight and satisfaction is the steadfast love that comes from the presence of God. Now, when the psalmist uses this language of the fat or the marrow or rich food, it spoke of a food that satisfies or fulfills or nourishes. Now, here in GT, we have a lot of different cultures that are represented. And with culture usually comes different types of food. How many people love food? I mean, I love food. I love all different types of food. And so I don't know about you, but there are times when, when I've experienced a food that I love so much that I can't easily uh, access anymore, that I have this desire in my life, oh, if I could just have some queso cheese with homemade tortillas, because no one has the type of queso cheese like they have in the U.S., right? No one has the type of Tex-Mex up here like they have in the U.S. And so with all the different cultural foods that exist here in Canada that we love and we're enjoying, we cannot find good, uh, authentic, if I could say it that way, Tex-Mex food with the queso cheese. And so back in May, we went back to Indiana to visit family because my wife's papers finally came through and we were allowed to leave the country and come back in. And I remember we got across the board and I thought, I want Mexican food. I want chips and queso. I want chimichangas. I want the, the crisp on it that has and, the, and all the stuff smothered on it. And I've tried all the places. Don't suggest places because I've tried them. And, and they all leave me wanting because it's not the true thing that I desire. So I remember this desire in my heart. Oh, I could just sense the queso. I can taste the queso. I can't wait to get to La Chariada and just sit there with the all-you-can-eat tortilla chips and queso dip and just stuff my face. It was a deep longing. It was the first place we went to when we got there. <laughs> I was so yearning for it. And so I can just imagine King David. He's in the wilderness and he's obviously feeling this hunger, this desire, right? He's feeling it in his physical body. But as he's feeling that hunger, that thirst, he begins to correlate it more than all the food that I had in the kingdom. I hunger and I thirst for the presence of God. What an incredible thing. 
What, what an incredible thing. He says, oh, man, I'm, I'm really starving out here. I'm really thirsty. My, I'm parched, but more than my physical parchment, more than my physical hunger, oh, I just, I just want to be satisfied by your steadfast love. It's better than the richest food. It's better than the fat or the marrow. And he, he desires to just worship his God in the presence of him and experience that tangible realm. C.A. Spurgeon, he said this, when God gives us the marrow of his love, we must present to him the marrow of our hearts. When God gives us the richness and the goodness of his love, we must present to him the marrow, the richness of our very hearts. David understood this here in Psalm chapter 63, that receiving the love of God should always lead us in response to praise, worship, and adoration that comes from our very hearts. When we experience the goodness of God, it should always lead us to worship and adoration from the very depths of our heart. Let's read on verses six through eight. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you, your right hand upholds me. I wanna ask you this question here this morning. What is the first thing that you do or think of when you first wake up in the morning? How many people, if you're honest, the first thing you do when you wake up in the morning is you reach over and you grab this blasted thing here? Confession is good for the soul. Let's see those hands, right? Because the truth is in our modern culture, we're not just checking the time, but we're checking what do we miss out on over the night? We wrestle with FOMO fear of missing out over and over and over again. We begin to check the updates, the news, and the scores, and the different posts that have happened. And we probably saw them right before we went to bed, but maybe something happened while we were asleep, and we gotta know what, what is happening, right? And so for most of us, uh, in fact, according to some research they did just a couple of years ago, uh, most people, the first thing they do when they wake up is they grab their phone. The second thing they do is they think about the money they need to earn and make in their work. The third thing that people do is they think of their significant other, whether good or bad. They look over and go, oh yeah, it's my beautiful significant other. Oh yeah, all the blankets are on my significant other. They hog all the blankets, right? And I'm sitting here curled up on the bed. Or the fourth thing they do is they begin to think of the mental to-do list. The thing, oh, I got a full day ahead of me. And I have all these things I need to get accomplished. And so for most of us, the last thing we think about when we first wake up it's the glory of God. It's the presence of God. It's the goodness of God. And yet David, he says, when I lay down at night and when I arise, I, I desire your presence. I'm hungry for your presence. I yearn for your glory. You see, the thing that you dwell upon before you go to bed and the thing you first think of when you wake up is actually the very thing that you are consumed by. And I know for many of us, we think we're just vegging out or we're checking out, but the truth is, it reveals the very thing that we are consumed by. I've said it before and I wanna say it again, you become that which you behold. You behold that which you worship. You worship that which you love and you love that which you are consumed 
by. Worship is connected to love and affection and desire. And our love, affection, and desire is always connected to the very thing we are consumed by. And so even this week as I was reading and studying the psalm, I was praying, Lord, help me to be consumed by you and you alone. Help me in the morning not to reach for the phone or think of all the things I need to get done today, but help me to wake up in the morning and simply respond. It sounds so silly, I understand, but just bear with me for a moment. Help me to wake up for a moment and just say, good morning, Holy Spirit. Good morning, Jesus. I desire to be in your presence today. I desire to encounter you afresh today. Help me not to wake up and say 7.15 already, 6.30 already, I didn't get enough sleep. Oh no, this day is going to be miserable because I have so much to get done. No, help me to wake up and say, good morning, Holy Spirit. I desire to encounter you afresh today, and that's what we read here in Psalm 63. Verses 9 through 11, David, he begins to turn his attention really away from, in a moment, from the goodness and the desire for God. He begins to turn his attention towards the reality that he's in, that he's fleeing from his enemies. And we pick it up in verse 9, he says, but those who seek to destroy my life shall go into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for the jackals. And then he switches or he reorients his way. And he says, but the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exalt for the mouths of liars will be stopped. You see, David, even though he knows he may not leave this wilderness, he may be stuck out here, he may die out here. David knows that his enemies will be judged. All that live by the sword will die by the sword. Jesus actually picks up on that idea in the Gospels. Those who live by the sword will die by the sword. Those who try to judge by the sword will ultimately be judged by the sword. But David rests in the truth that God is a just God and injustice will not be able to rule forever. He has a moment where he gets consumed by his reality, by his enemies. He gets disoriented, as we've been talking about over the last several weeks. But in a moment, he reorients himself. And he knows, you know what? No, God is true, and every man is a liar. My enemies may pursue me, but they will ultimately be judged. God is just. Injustice will not rule and reign in the world forever. And he rests in that truth. In the midst of the wilderness... He rests in the truth that God is good, that God is faithful, that God is just. Maybe you're here this morning, you feel like that you've been in a season, a wilderness season, and it's gone on longer than you ever hoped or desired, and you found yourself being disoriented away from the truth of who God is. I believe the Holy Spirit is here to reorient our lives towards the truth that in the midst of your wilderness, in the midst of your circumstance, God is still good, God is still true, God is still just. And injustice will not rule and reign in the earth forever. We are promises in Revelation chapter 21. When all that is wrong in the world will a moment be made right. And beloved, there are times that in the midst of our wilderness seasons, we just need to rest in the truth. God, you're just. 
and justice will not reign. Evil will not reign. It feels like evil reigns a lot. Can we be honest? It feels like we're living in days where evil is everywhere. And sometimes we just need to pause and say, God, you're still good. You're still true. You're still faithful. And this evil will not remain forever. Now, in wrapping up some thoughts here this morning, I want to kind of shift our attention away from the text and really towards the situation that led to this text being written. You see, we must note that it is ultimately because of David's sin of adultery. We know of this in the scriptures where the men are off the war and David is not fighting the battle any longer and he sees a woman Bathsheba who's bathed and he has this desire to lay with her, to be intimate with her. It's because of that sin that he commits, really that abuse of power that he commits in that moment that has actually led to her husband being murdered. It's led to this vicious cycle of lying and hiding and then finally being exposed, and it leads to division and strife in his home. It's because of that sin that David has now had to flee his home and flee the place of his kingdom. It's because of that sin that David can no longer go to the tabernacle, the tabernacle being the mini temple of God before the temple was built, the place where heaven and earth were one and the place where it was believed where God would come and meet with his people. And so when David is in the wilderness, it's because he has fled because of the sin he committed many, many years before. And so now he's having this moment of, I think a contrite heart, a heart of repentance and this desire, this yearning to say, oh, I long for the tabernacle. I long to experience the glory of God and the goodness of God again. But I fled because of the division in the home that happened because of my sin. In fact, he wrote Psalm 51 verse 11 shortly after his sin where he said, cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. You see, David knew that sin created a chasm between he and the presence of God. But I've said this before and I want to reiterate it again. That chasm exists because sin causes us to flee and run from the presence of God. Sin does not cause God to run from us. Sin causes us to run from God. But the goodness of God is that no matter where we find ourselves because of our sin, God comes running toward us. And the moment we stop running, pause, repent, turn from our sins, he is already there and ready to embrace us into his very presence again. David has fled because of his sin. But I believe in his repentance, he encounters the presence and glory of God in a fresh and real way. We see that in the end of his life. This desire is fulfilled again in the presence of God. It's like the story in Luke chapter 15 of the prodigal son. You guys know the story. The rebellious younger son asked for the inheritance of his father's kingdom and he goes and he lives a life where he squanders all the wealth and spends all the resources he's been given and he, he lives in a completely promiscuous and awful way. He falls into the very deep depths of immorality and sin. And in a moment, when he hits rock bottom, he comes to his senses 
and he realizes, you know what? The servants in my father's house have it far better that I'm experiencing right now. And he thinks in his mind, I'm gonna go back and just say, let me be a servant in your house because being a servant in your house is so much better than eating the slop of the pigs. And he goes and he approaches the kingdom. And the story that Jesus tells in this parable is that the father doesn't have his back turned towards the son as he's approaching the kingdom. The parable says that the father would go out every single day to the edge and have his face turned towards the opportunity when his son would turn home. And he sees his son, and what does the father do? The father runs towards him. The father embraces him. The father puts a ring which signified identity in that culture on his son. Then he takes a coat and he clothes the son, which means you are clothed with the very presence of my kingdom again and he welcomes him in to the home. You see, beloved, that is the picture of the grace of God. That once again, sin, the chasm that happens in our life because of sin is not God turning his face away from us. No, it's us turning our face away from him. But he's relentless in the pursuit of our hearts. And the second we stop, the second we pause and we turn, boom, there God is in that moment. There the glory is in that moment. There the awe and the wonder is in that moment. But the truth is that many of us have not encountered him afresh because we've been running the other way. And maybe it's not deep, dark, gross sins, but it's, it's busyness of life. It's falsehoods and ideologies. It's being consumed by everything else in the world. And we're just so caught up in all this stuff happening over here. And I believe there's an invitation being extended to us here this morning to stop, pause, turn, recognize all this stuff will never satisfy me. It will not fulfill the deep yearnings of my life. And the moment we turn, that is the place where heaven and earth become one. Because Paul says that we are all temples of the Holy Spirit. It's not about a geographical region like in David's day. It's not about a physical tabernacle like in his time. But no, now all of us who put our faith, hope, and trust in Jesus as Lord, we become temples of his spirit. We become the place where heaven and earth become one. And when we turn, there he is with his arms open, ready to embrace us, ready to welcome us in, ready to reveal the deep, deep longings of our soul, how they can only be fulfilled in his very presence. It's almost like, if I can say it this way, he's kind of a sneaky God. We think we're distant. The turn, boom, there he is arms wide open, ready to bring his children back in, ready to put the ring of identity back in, ready to clothe his children in the very presence of his kingdom again, the glory and the presence of God. And I believe no matter where we are in our journey of faith, once again, it may not be gross sin, but every one of us find ourselves in situations where we are distracted, we are disoriented, we are wandering away, but there's always that invitation, turn, boom, and experience his glory, experience his presence, experience his embrace fresh in our lives in that moment. And our only response 
response is that of holy, holy, holy. Wow, God, you are so good. Wow, God, you're so faithful. I've been so distracted all week. Like even sometimes I come in Sunday morning and I go, wow, God, I've been so distracted this week and yet here you are. I've been so consumed by everything else happening this week and yet here you are. The second I turn, heaven and earth are here. My response is simply holy, holy, holy. I want us to stand to our feet here this morning. So in this moment, I want us to meditate on four questions. And then we're gonna sing this song collectively together before we close. The questions are very simple questions, but they're things I wanna just spend a couple minutes just us meditating on here today and allowing the Holy Spirit to inspect our lives and our hearts to see where we are fleeing from the presence of God. So question number one is, what are you consumed by? What are you consumed by? Before you go to bed, when you first wake up, what are you consumed by? Question number two, what do you really long for? What do you really long for in your life? Question number three, are you aware of that which really dwells within? Like when Paul says we are temples of his Holy Spirit, are we aware his presence is there? Sometimes we feel so distant and sometimes we just need to awaken ourselves to the reality, God, you're here. This is what abiding with Jesus is all about. Awakening ourselves to the reality, he's present. He never went anywhere. He ain't gone nowhere. He never went anywhere. We went, we left, we ran, but he's omnipresent and his presence is within. Are you aware? And so in abiding with Jesus, many times I'll just say, Jesus, you are here. Awaken me to that reality. All of a sudden it's like heaven and earth. There's a collision that happens. And then question number four, when was the last time you were in awe of God? When was the last time you were in awe of God? Where you were just completely amazed by his glory, amazed by his presence. It just caught you off guard and you went, wow, holy, holy, holy. So I want us to sing this worship song together before we close. Go ahead and lead us. Sing Christ alone. Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my soul. This cornerstone, this solid crown, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. And what tests of peace when fears are still, when striving cease, my comforter, my all in all. Here in the love of Christ, I stand. Yes, Jesus. In Christ alone. In Christ alone. In Christ alone. 
who took on flesh, fullness of God in helpless pain, this gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones he came to Still save. on that cross, still on that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. Now, before we sing the third and fourth stanza, I want to highlight this line right here. I was talking with Pastor Isaiah earlier in the week or two weeks ago about this line. The wrath of God was satisfied. It's a deep theological line. But how we think about this line absolutely shapes and forms how we think about the character of God. You see, in some theological circles, they would sing that line and it's connected to what's called the atonement. I won't get into all the different theories on the atonement, but they think of that line as the wrath of God was satisfied in punishing the son at the cross. That God had all this built up vengeance and he just had to get out like he was you ever been so frustrated you just had to let something out and you wait till you're in your car all alone and then you and then you really say what you want to say because no one's around to hear you right and it's almost like we think of the wrath of God as he had all this built up vengeance because of sin and at the cross he just had to punish the son for all the sin that exists but the good news is Jesus was in our place which he was but God got all his wrath out on the son and so that would be what's called penal substitutionary atonement, PSA. But I think that what was really happening at the cross, because Paul says that God was in the Son reconciling the world to himself, is that the wrath of God was satisfied is that he was punishing sin at the cross. He was exhausting the power of sin at the cross through his Son. He was destroying the works of the devil once and for all at the cross. It's the realm of what's called Christus Victor. There's victory because of what Christ was doing at the cross. So the wrath of God was satisfied. It's not that he's this big angry God who has to punish and release his vengeance. No, he's fully just, fully holy, but his satisfaction is I have destroyed the works of the devil once and for all here today. And the wrath of God is satisfied in that moment. So I want us to go on to verse three and verse four and sing this from the place of victory here today. Let's lift up one voice and say it out loud. The crown, his body lay, light of the world by darkness lay. Then bursting forth. Then bursting forth in glorious day. Up from the grave he rose he stands in victory Since curse has lost his grip on me For I am his and he is mine He precious And as he stands And as he stands in victory Since curse has lost his grip Mine. 
Walk to the precious blood of Christ. Will you put your hands out in a posture of receptivity here this morning as I pray over us corporately? Holy Spirit, come. Reveal yourself afresh to every person in this room here today. Let them have moments this week where they are in absolute awe of your wonder, of your glory. Let there be a yearning in their very heart for the deep presence of God, that they would desire it more than food, they would desire it more than water, they would desire it more than position or status or pleasure. They would yearn for your very presence afresh and help them to know when that yearning comes, there you are. When they respond to you in that moment, there you are. And the kingdom of heaven is ready to clothe them with your glory. Clothe them with fresh identity. And heaven and earth become one in the temple of the Holy Spirit that they are. I pray blessing. I pray goodness over your people today. Let them have fresh encounters every single morning. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end, for they are new every morning. And I pray that that truth would resonate in our hearts here this morning. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen and amen. Bless you. Have an incredible week. Go in the power and strength and goodness of His might. Bless you. That wraps up our time together today. We hope you've been refreshed and inspired. Yes, it's been great to enjoy Summer in the Psalms together. And if there's any way that we can help or pray for you, or maybe you've made a decision to follow Jesus, please let us know and contact our church office. And remember this week that the Psalm says, God is your refuge and strength and ever-present help in time of trouble. Be blessed, everyone, and we'll see you next week.